Good morning, church. What a privilege and honor to be here in your church this morning. It's just a joy. And I thank uh, Pastor Roger and Bob and Dave and your staff and all those, uh, and you, for that invitation and the hospitality you've shown to us, to my family. And um, it isn't very often that we all get to be together. Uh, my son is pastoring in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, the Ozark area. And so, uh, but it is a joy for, for Karen and I to be here uh, and to have our daughter and granddaughters and son-in-law uh, here with us. So I've often thought that they would really sound better if it was a quartet, but they've never invited me. So I'll leave that where it is, okay? If you have your Bibles, I'm, I'm going to be sharing with you this morning about the persecuted church. And some may say, well, why, why would you share about the persecuted church? What's the significance of something like that? Well, there's a couple things that I want. First of all is just the awareness level. I think you would be surprised how much the Bible has to say about persecution to followers of Christ. And I mean just sincere followers of Christ. We've lived in a very uh, comfortable setting, regardless of... Uh, um, you know, some of the circumstances and situations. Uh, we haven't seen anything compared to what many, many peoples around the world who are believers. Uh, for them, it's illegal for, that, uh, for them to even gather like what we're gathered together here. My wife and I have been in some of those settings. I know that Bob has been in areas in India where it was very, very difficult at times. And, uh, and I've worked with different people groups in different places around the world that uh, was very hard, very difficult. And so uh, with that, I just say that I think an awareness level. Second of all, I do believe that uh, we are seeing things ex accelerated so fast toward the future that the return of our Lord, I believe, is soon sooner than what some think. And, and I believe for many of our churches, especially the churches in America, we're unprepared. And so our prayer is this, God change everything that's happening. But what if, what if these things, all the events that's happening, are things that's leading us to that time when Jesus is going to come? Your prayer, your praying isn't going to change the fact that God, a sovereign God has said he's got a day marked a time that even Jesus didn't know when he's going to say, son, go get to church. Bring them home. And, and if we're moving into those days, then our prayer should, shouldn't be, God changes, us, but the prayer should be, Lord, how do we minister in this time? It's not like we can bury our head in the sand. It's not like we can pray it away. But God has put us in this time for this particular season, for this period of time. And so I think that looking at these passages of Scripture will help us this morning to be better prepared and knowing how God would use us as a church, but also just help us to be aware of what's going on in the world that's around us. So if you would, would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to be reading to you a couple passages of Scripture. First, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse verse 3. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, a great passage of Scripture. I, I love this uh, passage because it says, starts out, remember. That's what the focus is uh, for us this morning. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now these people, I just want to tell you, uh, when it says remember uh, the prisoner, he's not talking about those that uh, had committed a crime of murder or robbery or uh, something of this sort. That's not what he's talking about here. The author of Hebrews is giving to us a picture here of remembering those who as believers have been put in prison uh, are, are, and are chained because they're believers. That's the crime. 
because they're believers. There are many places around the world, and, and here in the U.S. we've kind of experienced just a, a, a little bit of that in the recent uh, years. Uh, right now, I think there's been five times the state of California, the state of California has tried to sue churches or church groups uh, and telling them they can't meet. And so uh, it's a crime. One pastor there has been fined in his church uh, over $100,000. Another church has been fined a million dollars. Think about these kind of things. That we, we never thought we would ever hear of this kind of stuff happening uh, in the world that we're living in. And so he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Think about that. Yourself being chained to someone uh, that's beside you as a believer. Matthew chapter 10, or chapter 5 is the second passage. Notice what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a great passage of scripture also, and that gives to us that Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was going to be coming into their life, and even beyond that, into that first, second century, all the way up to the time that we're living today. Let's pray together again. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. We want you to be honored. And Father, I ask that you would teach us what we do not know. I pray, Father, that you would give to us what we need today. And Father, I also pray that you would make us what we need to be for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Some folks have asked me how, why I, I have people to stand in the reading of God's Word, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, I would say just in particular, was that, is that there's 6,000-plus languages in the world, and about 3,000 or so of them still do not have a John 3.16. There is a great need uh, for Bible translators and for people to give themselves to the Lord to be used in this way. And it means that they would go into the dark, dirty, dangerous places of our world because some of these particular tribal groups or unreached people groups are people groups which has no exposure to Christianity. My wife and I worked in some of those settings. When we first went in uh, to, the, uh, to the jungles of New Guinea, uh, we would fly in uh, by a helicopter. There were no roads to, to get in and out of there. Uh, they had seen just a very little exposure of, uh, of outsiders before in our village that we landed in. But I remember that first time we landed there, and they came out, and they checked my skin to see if the white would rub off. They, uh, they touched my hair to, because they, they hadn't been around uh, white people before. And um, at first, they hid in the jungle until the helicopter landed and then when it landed and shut down well then they started kind of coming out just a little bit and they said well we thought you were uh, we thought that the helicopter was a big bird uh, and we thought you were white spirits that were going to eat us I kind of thought I may be lunch for them too but uh, uh, but as we as we met with them and they they uh, 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 interacted with us we realized that just how primitive this people group uh, of this group of people were they had no exposure to an outside world they they had no uh, translation of God's word. Uh, they had never heard uh, the name of Jesus or understood who God was, any of these kind of things. And there's people groups all around the world where that is happening. Now some, once they are exposed to Christianity and, uh, and, and you're around them, there's a heavy persecution that comes to them. 
I remember taking groups of uh, pastors and, and, uh, and lay leaders from churches to places like Central Asia, uh, working in Turkey or in other places along the borders of Syria and Iran and Iraq and uh, different places like that, into areas where there were cities and places of, of uh, towns of 100,000, uh, up to 250,000 people, and no known believers in them, no churches that were there. And going into these particular areas, uh, knowing that there was a lot of persecution that would happen if a Christian was found there. I remember going with groups of people and we would uh, give Bibles away and, uh, and it wasn't like we were standing on the street corner saying, hey, anybody want a Bible? Uh, but we prayed specifically that God would show us who would we take a Bible and put into their hands. And so this took some very careful uh, uh, praying and uh, prayer walking in areas, but I remember giving out Bibles uh, in different areas, and as we were pulling out of some of these areas, people would bang on the car. Uh, this is in heavy, militant Muslim areas, and say, hey, I, I heard you have a Bible. They call it the Injil. I heard you have some Injils. Could, could you give me one of them? And so we gave them. I remember giving it to some uh, um, Muslim people, and as soon as they saw it, fear came on their face. They would grab it. They wanted it, and they would stick it in their, in their coat and hide it because they knew that if they were caught uh, reading it or they were caught with it in their possession, it would mean instant, uh, instantly they would be uh, uh, jailed or they would be killed. Uh, I remember others that said, I took the Bible. Uh, it was given to me, and in about a four- or five-year period, I took that, and it night when no one, not even my family, my wife, my, my husband, or anybody else in, could, would know it, I would get underneath of a blanket with a flashlight, and I was reading parts of the Bible. I remember the testimony of one particular guy from uh, Central Asia, and he said that uh, he knew that his dad had this box, and in that box was this book and he said, uh, as I became a teenager, I got very curious about that. And I would sneak into my dad's room, and I would take that book. It was the Injil. It was a Bible. And he said, I started reading that. And he said that uh, uh, as I started reading it, God started speaking to me through that book. And in time, he come to know Christ. And as he was sharing his testimony, he showed me the scars on his arms, on his, uh, on his legs, where he had been beaten, where he had been cut with a machete, and so forth. Persecution is a real thing in the world around us. And if it's true as though what the Bible says, and it is true, what Revelation declares, and so forth, those days are coming to us. But can you imagine? Can you imagine that you were to wake up one morning, and you were to find a red spray-painted symbol on the front of your house, like what you'll see on this screen? And that, that, that letter is the 14th letter of the Arabic alphabet. And it's equivalent to the Roman letter N. And it stands for Nazara, or the Nazarene. A derogatory Arabic word for Christians. It wasn't a complimentary thing. But you would wake up and this symbol is painted on your house. And what it meant was this. You have a choice to make. You're no, you've been, it's been notified you are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you've got, you've got three options. You're either going to denounce, denounce your faith and place your faith and trust in Islam or in Muhammad, Allah, or 
You're, you're going to take and pay a heavy penalty and fine, and you're going to pay a tax to the, to the uh, Muslim government of that particular country, unbelievable amount, and very limited as to what you could do if you stayed there. Or you could stay, and you're going to be killed. And when you leave, you're going to take everything you've... Uh, you're, you're going to leave everything you've got. You're not going to be gathering up all your stuff, putting it in a U-Haul and moving out. You're going to walk away, leaving your house, all of your possessions, everything you own. You're gone. That's what this symbol means, and it's been put on the homes of many people over the years in different places around the world, in Muslim countries. It means they're followers of the Nazarene. They're followers of Jesus. You see, they distinguish between those who say, I'm a Christian, and those who say they're followers of Jesus. And even the Muslim world is able to distinguish, well, that guy says he's a Christian, that doesn't mean anything, we've never seen any evidence of it in his life. To the follower of Jesus is that that we've seen. These people are active. I mean, they, they're telling people about Jesus. They're always talking about this book, the Bible. They're always talking about the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. And so you find in our world a number of things that's going on that's uh, right up to date with where we are. First of all, you'll find that hundreds of Christians are killed for their faith. This is happening on a monthly basis. Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands at times, are killed. I shared with the uh, earlier service this morning that, that on Palm Sunday in some areas, I think one was in Indonesia uh, just recently where there was a bombing that took place and about 130 uh, 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 believers were killed uh, on that Sunday morning. Just a few days later in Nigeria, uh, villages and churches were burned and a number of men and women were killed. And so it's happening all around our world on a daily basis. And so each month you see hundreds, uh, if not more, of churches or of Christians that have, have been killed. And then, and then hundreds of churches and properties are destroyed. Where someone is coming in and, uh, and they're burning down the church buildings. They're, uh, they're burning down the homes of believers and Christians. They're, they're doing anything they can to, dis- to stop that. And there's thousands of forms of violence that are committed against Christians. Uh, it could be uh, things such as abduction or beatings that people take place. I, had, I have a good friend that was, uh, uh, he was our, our um, um, van driver in El Salvador. His name was Salvador. And Salvador was as passionate at sharing the gospel. I remember when he first come to know Christ and, when he, and, and how excited he was. And he became our, our van driver. And he took many, many trips for our, our church in, uh, in, in Sparta and Calvary Church and the church in Branson where I pastored there. We helped to plant a number of churches in El Salvador. And we were planting some of these churches in a very heavy gang areas or heavy what used to be communist control areas. And this was just about two years or three years back when this happened. The Salvador, who was passionate about witnessing, I took him one time, and uh, we were witnessing on the street going uh, in some market areas, and he come and got one of our guys and took him over there and uh, into this building. I thought, what, what is that? And uh, when he came back out, uh, he said, Brother Norm, I just, I just want to tell you that this is the headquarters for the communist uh, uh, party uh, here in, in El Salvador. And he went in there with tracks, passing them out, and sharing the gospel. 
Well, one day, uh, uh, Salvador was uh, standing by the, a street corner waiting for a vehicle to come by to pick him up, and a van pulled up. They abducted him. They've never seen him again. There were teenage boys that have been uh, stolen from churches that I've worked with. Uh, they were abducted. They were taken. They've never been seen again. They usually were placed in gangs somewhere. And so these things take place, or like what's took place in, in uh, Nigeria and other countries where they come in and they would take all of the young girls and the young mothers uh, and the ladies and they would make them prostitutes for the militant uh, Muslim army. These things are happening. It's never reported because it's about Christians. We hear all of the other sides of that, but these things are going on on, on a daily basis. And it's been going on since the time of Christ and the teachings of Christ. You see, uh, on this next slide, you'll see that what the early Christians used to do that in order to know that who they were talking with was a believer or not, one would come in and he would draw a little mark on the ground like this. And then the second one would come on and he would, he would make another mark below that mark. Uh, and it was the sign of the fish. And that became a symbol for them as believers. As, as, and the, the basis of that was that at one time that Jesus had called uh, Peter, Andrew, uh, James, and John and said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so that became the symbol for the early church for the first century and the second century. And as it went on, they started adding a few things to it. They put letters in that. And those letters all had meanings. It was the Greek letters and each word represented, the I represented Jesus and the the X represented Christ and, and the, uh, uh, the uh, circle with the uh, little mark in the middle is the Greek letter theta and it represented theos for God and, uh, and the Y represented, uh, it was the Greek letter uh, uh, epsilon and it was the uios. Uh, which meant son, and then the last little squiggly letter there was the sigma. You can talk to Bob. He knows all about Greek and, and all of those kind of things. We were in school together. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't do well, okay. So. And, uh, and the letter S uh, uh, represents, it's the sigma. It's the Greek uh, letter for, for, the, for the S, and it meant Savior. And you put those together, and it had a meaning. And, and so the early church used it as, their, as an acrostic, and it was Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And these were the things that the church lived by. And so they made these marks, and they lived by that. It wasn't just the sign of a little, a nice little cross. And those are pretty, or crosses and earrings and things of that sort. But the cross had a meaning, and usually it meant death. And you had to be careful with those things. I'm reminded of what Jesus said. It's not on the slide, so you don't have to turn there. He said, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. These are powerful, powerful statements that our Lord has made and for us. And I can tell you as we move on, we'll see some different things here, that what the Word of God is speaking to us, and it's always been there, is nothing new. And so here we are. I want you to look. Why are believers persecuted? If we're the church and God loves us, why is it then that the world hates us and persecution comes? Why doesn't God just protect us from this? Well, look, notice what the passage said that I read to you. Matthew 5.10 reminds us. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It's because of the life that we live. When you're living for Jesus, it stands out. You become a light to a lost, dark world. I've been in some of those places where the light is very, very low, very dim. 
because there are just a few believers that are in those areas, but they're passionate for Christ. Some would say, well, why, why even share your faith uh, in those kind of things? Why don't you just be quiet and silent so no one would know? Because that's not what Christianity is about. What Christianity is about is that we would go into these dark, dangerous places in the world sharing the gospel. I remember one night I had been preaching and teaching in Romania, and it was real late. I preached uh, in, in a service in the evening time, <clears throat> and I got into a vehicle, and they sent me off way up into the mountains somewhere. I don't even know where this place is at today. I've looked it up. I know that it, it does exist. And uh, the driver was a Romanian. He couldn't speak English, and I couldn't speak uh, Romanian, so we just kind of looked at each other, smiled and nodded and all this kind of stuff. We got in real, real late, like at 12, 1 o'clock uh, in the evening. It was dark. The lights were all out in that area. And so they, someone came to the door, opened it up, let us in, took me up. I, and here was my room, and then the interpreter or the, uh, the driver had another room. Very early the next morning, early, early, I heard this knock at the door. And so I opened the door, and... Um, uh, one of the guys said, um, uh, Brother Norm, uh, you're going to be speaking in about five minutes. And uh, immediately I went to thinking, okay, Lord, fill my mouth with worthwhile stuff and shut me up uh, when I've said enough. Uh, help me. I'm, I'm going to need your help uh, in what I'm about to do. I'm not prepared for this. I didn't. And then I asked them, I said, well, who is it that I'm going to be sharing with? And they said, well, these, uh, you're in a K. Arthur Precept Ministry International Training Center. And so you're going to have people from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, uh, you know, Turkestan, and all of the stands in the world. I said, well, who are they? And they said, they are people who are working with unreached, uh, unchurched areas. And then the guy leans over and says, and Brother Norm, I have to tell you that um, their husbands and wives, and probably in one year, most of them will not be alive. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what do you say to someone like, like the, the commitment level of the, of the persecuted church is just absolutely unbelievable uh, as to what happened. Someone has said, why? And since that time, I have preached a number of messages on the persecuted church in many places around the U.S. and even in other countries. And here's the reason why is because when I got through speaking, I couldn't hardly speak because my, my voice was so broken up when I was thinking of the passion of these people who in a year or so would be dead because they were sharing their faith with Jesus. And we had so many people back home sitting in their seats, afraid to give a dollar to a mission cause, afraid to let their children go into a mission trip, afraid to, to serve the Lord or to witness to a next door neighbor. And here I am standing, uh, honored to be in front of so many of these people. When I got through, they said they want to pray for you. And as uh, they gathered around me, uh, they started out praying in Romanian, and then it passed on to Russian, and then it passed on to uh, the Turkish language, and then it passed on. It was unbelievable how many language groups were there. And I asked the interpreter, what are they praying? What are they saying? And he said, they're praying, Norm, that you would go back and you would tell the church to pray. Just pray for them. They weren't asking for no persecution. They knew what persecution, they had such a deep love for the Lord. The second thing you'll find here is not only did they have uh, the life that they lived, but it was the love that they had for the Lord. Notice what he says here. It's all on my account. They're doing this all for me. I think, oh Lord, 
The church must wake up. We must be aware. And as believers, we must say, God, you have me here for a purpose. Use me. I'm reminded of what this picture shows in the next, uh, how many places I've been where the word of God is not uh, it, it is forbidden if you own one. You, you're taking your life into your own hands. My mind goes back to that time when I first started translating a portion of God's word to one of our tribal people. They hadn't had the Bible. Uh, they had never. Uh, they were illiterate. There was no churches. There wasn't one believer in the entire language group. And my tribal helper, him and I, sat down and for eight hours uh, that day we worked on a passage of Scripture, just a simple narrative passage of Scripture. And uh, I said, well, we're not quite where we need to be. It's only about ten verses or so. But I said, we're not quite where we need to be. You come back in the morning. And so he left. I remember it was probably about four in the morning and I hear this knock on my door. And so I get up, I go to the door out there in the jungle and I said, who is it? And he says, it's me, it's Kuhn. And I said, well, Kuhn, what are you doing? And he said, uh, uh, Norm, I can't get God's word out of my head, uh, out of my heart. It just keeps coming. I can't sleep. And so I'm here to start translation. It's God's talk and, and I want to help to get God's talk out. Oh, I, I've, I've been places where they first heard the word of God and they danced. Uh, I was in uh, Branson as a pastor there and we had an international meal where we invited many, many people to come over, uh, uh, internationals, because they, they would serve in hotels and, and uh, restaurants and stuff uh, during their season. And so our church hosted them. And, and at one time we had about 20 different language groups and different countries represented in our church, just a simple meal. And, uh, and I said to them, they said, the, the government said, well, yeah, you, can, you can put something like this on. They were, they were government workers uh, that had come to uh, Branson. And so I said, uh, when I do this, uh, I would like to share. And they said, well, what are you, you're not going to preach to them, are you? I said, no, but let me talk about maybe an American holiday. And so I chose Thanksgiving. And he said, well, you only have about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to share. So, okay, that's fine. So I shared for uh, about an American holiday. Matter of fact, it was in the middle of the summer, but we did a Thanksgiving meal for them. Our church, it cost our church to do that. It, it cost money to do uh, ministry and to work with peoples of other races and other countries uh, and working with them. So we did something else too. We bought Bibles. We had Chinese Bibles. We had Romanian Bibles. We had Spanish Bibles. Uh, and, and we also had just a few Turkish Bibles. And so when the people came, I said, when I ended, I said, now over here on this table are free books that you can get in your language. And I'll never forget. I've got pictures of it. Um, it's in this, but, uh, but it's later. I don't know if we'll get to it, but I want to tell you the story. Now, you see, this wasn't in China. This was in Branson, Missouri. They picked those, those Chinese. I've got a picture of Chinese girls. They grabbed, they looked at that Bible. They said, oh, We've never had one. They pulled it to their chest. There were tears in their eyes. Oh, I'm telling you. There are people that love the Word of God, would love to have the Word of God. I wonder what you do with your Bible. How often do you read it? How much does it mean to you? Because there are places around the world they'll die for it. They would love to have a, a portion of God's Word, and they can't have it. 
And so we see that. Well, how are believers persecuted? Well, there's three ways that they're basically persecuted. First is that uh, verbal insult, uh, in, insult is what Jesus said. Blessed are you when they revile you. The word revile means to insult, and they make fun of you, they chide, they taunt, uh, they defame you. Uh, they're going to do things, say things uh, uh, towards you. Oh, you're a, you're a believer. Now, we may have experiences. You may have experienced it in school. You may have experienced it on your workplace or with a co-worker or with a neighbor. Oh, they're Christians. Or maybe they said something like this. Maybe you even had a church member say, they're fanatical. They just take Jesus way too serious. I've had people say that within the church. And, and that may happen. Jesus says, blessed are you, happy will you be when they do this to you. You may not feel happy about it, but Jesus says, Jesus says there's a blessing. And the second way that this could happen is that physical attack that could happen. He says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. And so, uh, and that means that they chase you down and pursue you with hostility, just like an animal when it is hunted. They're intentional about it. That's what the Word of God is. That's what Jesus was saying to them. There will be the day where they're going to hunt you down, just like they're hunting an animal. And I'm telling you, it happened to the twelve. Uh, the the, the uh, 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 ten of them died. And by the way, they died, many of them, in foreign countries, in a place where their heart language wasn't because they took serious the message of the gospel, and they did what God had called them to do. And there was a consequence, but, but literally thousands come to know Christ through that. You can see in some of these pictures that I have here of the persecuted church and how, the, how that they were responded. This guy was killed uh, and laying in a pool of his own blood. They took the Bible and placed it on his back as a warning to other followers of Christ and saying, uh-huh, uh, this is what's going to happen if you continue following Jesus. Others from North Korea, you can see in this next picture, uh, women beaten, uh, tortured, and so forth. Sometimes they would uh, do so many uh, unbelievable things to these people, but yet they had such a passion and a love for Jesus that they would not denounce their faith. We don't, we don't have to worry about that today, right now. We should be concerned about the fact that it's happening. These are our brothers and sisters that we'll be sharing heaven with. And we should be praying for them. Others took beatings of different sorts and, and, uh, and uh, uh, canings where they would take uh, 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 sugar cane and they would, um, uh, the long rods, or, or they would take bamboo canes and, and beat these uh, uh, believers for what they were doing. Others uh, were, were killed because they were delivering and carrying Bibles. Uh, as uh, Richard Wormbrandt, the founder of uh, Voice of the Martyrs, said, if you're not willing to die for what is in the Bible, well, just pause and think about that. If you're not willing to die for what is in the Bible, you should not give money for Bibles, because if you give, we will smuggle more Bibles. Uh, and if we smuggle more Bibles, there will be more, more, more martyrs. I, don't, I couldn't tell you how many dollars over the years through either the Missouri Baptist Convention or churches that we have raised. By the way, for those um, Turks that came uh, to our international meal in Branson, one Bible, one Bible for them was well over $100, about $120, $140. I asked our church, would you buy those Bibles? I think we bought uh, over $1,000 worth of Bibles, which really is only about uh, 10 or 12 Bibles. 
The money came in just like that. Our, our church had a passion for reaching. Now, this was in Branson. This was, I didn't, we didn't have to go to Turkey to do that. They were right here in this area. I'm just telling you that this idea that, that church work is easy and, and we don't have it cost us nothing. We should give. We should pray about how we could be more involved in the ministries of missions and uh, ministries locally of helping people come to know Christ. And so it happens often in many places. Uh, notice uh, the third, third area Jesus said is, Blessed are you uh, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of, of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's going to happen where you become uh, lies and slander. We already see that happening here in the U.S. The church is standing in the way for many of the progressive world that we live in. The only thing, uh, it's been stated already, the church is the last stronghold. If they, can, if, they, if they can take care of the church and get the church to quiet its message, if they can shut it down, then the agendas can go. And I can tell you that for the early church, they had a clear understanding of the sovereignty of God, and they knew that how God was working and what God was doing in their hearts and their lives was for a purpose and a cause, and they were willing to to live that way. And so persecution is to be expected as a normal part of our Christian life. It's not what we want. I don't pray, okay, God, I'm going to go out today. Hopefully somebody will slap me, somebody will beat me, somebody will hit me. I'm not doing that. But I do, again, a remember verse that Jesus gives to us in John 15 says, remember the words that I say to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Because it's true, it will happen. I'm reminded of this particular verse because it's something my wife gave to me uh, about um, uh, a young boy that um, uh, terrorists had come into his village looking for Christians and killed many Christians, and they gathered up all the Bibles. They took the Bibles and they were burning them. And a young little boy like this one reached in there and grabbed the Bible that was on fire and pulled it out, burning his hands and so forth. Pulling it out, putting the fire out. He had such an understanding at that age because he'd been taught about the importance and the value of the Word of God. They eventually burned him very badly too. This is the world we live in. I'm reminded of what Warren Worsby says. There's a brand of Christianity today that seems unlike the kind that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels and that Paul spoke about in the epistles. It's an easygoing, popular kind of religion that is, that is acceptable to the world because it involves no convictions and no cross, or at least no cross, as Jesus spoke of. Wow. That's a world, and many churches have fallen into that. You're not. You're a mission-minded church. You're a passionate church about planting churches and reaching out into your community and expanding the message of Christ. That's why God has blessed your church in such a great way. I'm thankful to be pastoring a church like that also. But I often remind our church what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It will happen. And then persecution gives us opportunities to grow spiritually. Paul wrote this, he said, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, Paul was in prison at this time, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. I'm reminded of, uh, of being with, an, with the underground church in, in um, 
uh, from Iran, and my wife and I was uh, teaching with them, and uh, we would teach about six hours, and then we uh, would take a break. Uh, we, we would teach, actually, uh, uh, two hours. Uh, we'd take about an hour and a half, then take a break, and an hour and a half, take a break, an hour and a half. Uh, but it e equaled out to about six hours or so in a day. We did this for three days straight. Probably bring revival to our churches in America if we did that. But, um, but we did this. This is what I found on the mission field. Many, many places have such a desire to hear the word of God that they will sit and they will stay for, and Bob knows this too, for hours. Walk, some of them, for days. I've been in places where they, it was farther away from their home, so they just slept outside the church or inside the church building because it was too far to walk back because they didn't have any preaching or teaching or the word of God. I've been in places where they only had one Bible in the whole church. And I remember going in, getting ready to, um, to speak, and I took my Bible and I set it down on the floor beside me one time, and a man ran up. This place was absolutely packed. There wasn't any room for anybody else to get in. And this guy comes running up to me, and he squatted beside me, and he picked up the Bible, and he, he squatted right beside me holding the Bible. I thought he was going to steal my Bible. And the pastor said, Oh, Brother Norm, you, you have offended these people. The Word of God should never be on the, on the ground. We only have one or two Bibles in the whole church. And so this guy has come up to hold what they believe the most sacred book that could ever be held. And it was, and it is. And so these, these uh, Iranian believers, they were just so passionate about Christ. And uh, being passionate about Christ, when we would teach them, when we got done, they would come uh, forward and, and they ask us uh, if we could teach longer. Could you teach more? We haven't heard this kind of teaching. They kissed our hands. They kissed our cheeks. They kissed the Bible. They hugged us, tears streaming down their faces. We just love this kind of... Uh, we never had this kind of teaching before. Could you teach us more? They had such, such a desire to grow spiritually. They all knew, they were warned that when they come back, to Iran, that they would have to go through customs and they would be checked. I got an email about three or four weeks after this that when they came back, a number of them were pulled out to the side. They took some of the men, kept them for two or three weeks, beat them almost every day. As I'm reading the email, I could not believe what I was reading that these guys had to go through. My heart was broken for my new friends that I had, had met on that, my wife and I have a picture of them on our, our we, we, we have, we still have the picture uh, that we had for, for many, for, for many uh, years right there on our refrigerator. But at the bottom of the email, it said this, oh, and by the way, they've released us and many people have come to know Jesus because of it. See, this is what I'm trying to tell you, folks. We can shun this stuff. We can say, oh, May it never happen to us. It's happened to all the world. Why, would, why are we an exemption from this? I'm telling you, God is looking for people who are passionate for him. People who will stand up and say, yes, I love you, Lord. And it's more than just verbiage that I'm giving to you. It's more than just a, a, a nod of my head, but it's a desire. I, I want to live for you because you're my Lord. You're my Savior. We've seen that so many, many times in so many, many places. I want to go to the next or the last picture, if you would, here, okay? And it's a picture of this girl, and some of you may have seen this before. Uh, this uh, one guy here is the director of missions down in the Cape Girardeau area. For a number of years, he's been kicked out of more countries than you and I have ever been able to get into uh, because he was a witness for the Lord. 
very faithful, and, and um, he helped me to get in contact with the underground church in Iran. And so uh, my wife and I and a few other uh, people, we went there and we did this teaching with them. This is one of those believers that was in a village, and I taught for two hours on baptism. And she said, um, uh, Brother Norm, I've never been baptized. There's only two believers in my village, and uh, would you baptize me? And so we had to secretly go out to a place and baptize her. Even the others that were there didn't know anything about it, just us missionaries and maybe one or two of her friends that goes from her village. We filled up, a, uh, it was in, a, in another building, um, and we filled up in the basement of that building. We had a laundry basket, put water in it. The guy in the yellow shirt is an Iranian, was an Iranian pastor that was run out of his country, went to England, his house was bombed there. He went to Canada, and they were still chasing him, trying to kill him. He helped, he's helped a lot of Americans do translation work uh, in, in other countries around Iran. And so while he was there, uh, he said, well, I'll help with the baptism. And so they took him, or they took this young girl, she's probably 24 years old, uh, 22 to 24 years old, and ask her, why do you want to be baptized? This is what she said, I want to do everything God has told me to do in his word. Now listen to me, folks. Everything God has said that I need to do, I want to do. We baptized her. There was such a smile, a joy on her face. And the Iranian pastor was weeping and crying. I said, well, what are you crying about? And he said, I know the village she'll go back to. I know her family. If they find out she's a follower of Jesus, she'll be raped. They're going to take and hang her by her hair and then eventually hang her by her neck and kill her. I'll never forget the smile on that girl's face as she said, I want to follow Jesus. I don't say these things to make us feel guilty. I want us to evaluate where we are in our hearts and our lives. This thing about Jesus is serious. It's real. It's life-changing. And it's changing all around the world and the lives of people. I've seen it many, many times. And even here, I've seen it happen so many times. And I'm wondering about you. And about where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Has he changed you? And the last slide, I just say this. If they put this on your house... Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of the Nazarene? Let's stand together as Stephen comes and he leads us in a song of invitation. And we look at the, what the Word of God says. Let me pray for you very quickly. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today. Draw us to yourself. We want to follow you, Father. We want you to be the Lord of our lives. And I know that for many here, there's struggles and there's fears and there's concerns. And I pray, Father, that we would bring them to you. For some that are here, they're not believers. And may they today find you as their Savior as they place their faith and trust in what you did on the cross of Calvary through Jesus, repenting of their sins and trusting you to save them. Oh, Father, today, may you be glorified in your church and your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.